I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We are going to read tonight uh, verses 73 through 80. 73 through 80. We are making our way through this psalm, the longest psalm out of all of them. And it is a psalm that extols uh, the word of God, the law of God. And... uh, relates to it constantly uh, out of all of the various uh, circumstances and uh, emotions which the psalmist expresses. And so tonight uh, I've entitled this sermon, uh, The Lord's Comfort for Afflicted Saints. And uh, as we read it together, uh, let's, uh, let's seek the Lord's blessing. Uh, let's read, uh, I will read uh, Psalm 119, verse 73 and following. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray again. Our gracious God, we do thank you for this word, which is uh, from, is, are the very words of your mouth. And therefore, O oh Lord, we uh, bow before you and your word, and we ask that you would give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. Grant this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Every now and then, uh, Sarah Ely will uh, say to me, uh, there's somebody coming this week to tune the piano. And so there's a man that comes, and he will spend uh, hours, boom, 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 on each key tuning each key to make sure that it's right. And if you ever listen to anyone play the guitar, you know as, uh, that uh, a guitar player will sit for some time twisting those knobs at the end until they make just the right sound. Pianos and guitars need tuning. So does the human soul. The human soul has been made by God in his image. And therefore, we have the capacity to respond to him. And the Psalms are given to us to help us respond to him and to have the right words and the right attitude to know how to respond to God in every situation. One of the great church fathers by the name of Athanasius wrote a letter to a man called Marcellinus. 
And Athanasius, they, they say that he was probably born sometime around 298. So uh, that gives you a sense of the time period that he lived in. He was a very uh, well-known uh, uh, defender of Orthodox faith. But he wrote a, a letter to Marcellinus about the Psalms, encouraging him to study the Psalms. And he said, and I quote, you find depicted in it all the movements of your soul, all its changes, its ups and downs, its failures and recoveries. Moreover, whatever your particular need or trouble from the same book, the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it. And so as we read the Psalms, we read them differently than we would say the histories. We read them differently than we would say the epistles. Why? Because in the Psalms you're reading someone who you're reading prayers. You're reading someone who is in a certain situation and is responding to God and in the words that God has given. And so God has sort of, what he's done in the Psalms is he's given us an inspired language to speak to him. And uh, Athanasius uh, says that it is especially in the singing of the Psalms that the melody of the words and the springs naturally from the rhythm of the soul and her own union with the spirit. Now think about this. This gets a little bit mystical. The spirit dwells in the believer. The same spirit that wrote the Psalms. The same spirit that is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And Athanasius is saying, when we sing the Psalms, from the rhythm of the soul and her union with the spirit, they sing with a tongue. If you sing with the tongue and you sing with understanding also, and benefit not them, you benefit not themselves alone, but also those who listen. He who sings well puts, this, this was a line, he who sings well, the Psalms, puts his soul in tune. Puts his soul in tune. How do we tune our soul? We tune our soul by reading and meditating and praying and repeating and saying to God the words that he's given to us in the Psalms. If you're like me, you often don't know what to say, especially at certain times in your life. You may feel at certain times in your life a little more at a distance from God. And words don't naturally spring up within you. And so when God gives us words that we can say, they are a help to us in prayer. And I think not only the Psalms, but the Lord's Prayer is very much uh, good to be used in that way. Sometimes when you don't know what to say and you want to pray and you just don't know what to say, Repeat over and over to the Lord the phrases of the Lord's prayer that you have memorized from you. 
Meditate on every single one of them, every single word, and pray that prayer. God has given it to us, and you cannot fail if you sincerely pray it. So that's a little bit of, of an introduction to how to approach the Psalms in, in terms of how we read them, how we study them, how we understand them. So tonight, so this section of Psalm 119, in this section we listen to someone who is under affliction. He is in affliction. And he is acknowledging God's care for him and his concern for him. It's something for us to consider that affliction is a normal part of the Christian life. Tribulations, difficulty, conflict is a normal part of the Christian life. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippians, and you remember the tumult, if you remember from the book of Acts, the tumult in Philippi that Paul had there. He says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Tribulation, difficulty, conflict is a part of every believer's life. Those can be circumstantial and external to us, but which affect us. They can be things such as our state of mind and how we're thinking and the patterns of thought that we engage in. They can be conflict between us and people that we know and love that we're talking to them about the Lord and they're not responding as, as we would like them to respond. There can be open conflict. Take heart. Because that is a normal part of the Christian's life. The one who loves the Lord and adheres to his word. That's what we understand. It's been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. So this psalm, this section of Psalm 119, are the words of a man who is afflicted, who is acknowledging God's care for him. So what I'd like to see tonight in the psalm are five things. Five things. And the first thing that we notice is verse 73. Your hands, your hands have made and fashioned me. The psalmist, as he considers his own difficulties that he is in, acknowledges that God is the one who... Notice that he speaks of God in anthropomorphic ways. He speaks of God as having hands. We know that God does not have a body, and therefore he does not have hands. But think for a moment about what the importance of hands are to us. If there's anything that you are doing that has to do with building or making or shaping or mixing, Anything that you are doing that has to do with the formation of something, you do it with your hands. And God is here spoken of as having formed us. The psalmist says, you have formed me, you have fashioned me and made me with your hands. He made us in both our body 
and our soul. And God's skill in making us is perfect. When God made Adam in the, out of the dust of the ground, you remember that God held counsel before he made him. Such was the importance of the creation of Adam. Let us make man in our image. You were not made in that way. You were made by God through the union of your mother and your father. And you were conceived in your mother's womb. And there in your mother's womb, God made you. God fashioned you. He fashioned your body, and he fashioned your soul. And he is one who has infinite wisdom. How important it is for us to rest in that fact. You know, you are you. You're not somebody else. How difficult it is for us to finally get to a place where we can be okay with that. But God made you and your soul and how you are in the most depths of the recesses of your being. He made you and you are wonderfully made by him. And you were made and you were conceived in your mother's womb and you grew. But how important it is for you to know that I am one whom God's hands have fashioned. If there is anyone that knows you, it is God. If there is anyone that understands you, it is God. Why? In his infinite wisdom before the foundation of the world, before you existed, he knew you. And he loved you. And he made you in his image. So every, every person is made by God. And the psalmist reflects upon that. Now the fact that we're made by God, he goes on to say, you have fashioned me, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. One of the things about sin is that we are in need to be made new. Uh, we're not only made by God in our origin, in our birth, in our physical birth, but if you are a Christian tonight, God has made you a new creature. He has recreated you. He's made you new. And so that's why we ask God now in prayer, recognizing that God is one who understands me and knows me. He's made me that he would grant to us understanding. Understanding is not something that we have. It has to be given to us by God. And so isn't it a wonderful thing for us to pause and to just note that? You lack understanding? As you open your Bible, and as you read it, you feel your own the dimness of your thinking and of your mind and your lack of understanding, take these words in your mouth and say to the Lord who made you, Lord, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. It is God who enlightens our minds. 
It is God who quickens us through his word. So we ought to use this and understand uh, that to pray in this way, we ought to pray daily for God to give us understanding. Understanding of who we are, first of all, created in the image of God, second of all, recreated in the image of Christ, his workmanship, to do good works. Now, O Lord, knowing that, help me to understand your word. The second thing I want us to see is that the psalmist here uh, prays acknowledging and thanking God, actually, for his faithfulness in dispensing affliction. This is a surprising thing in this psalm, in these verses. Verse 74, those who fear you, he says, shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, uh, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness, you have afflicted me. If you go back to the previous set of verses, in verse 67, you'll see there that the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In verse 71 of the previous set, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And now in verse 75, the verse we just read, I know that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So the affliction that he is suffering, he understands that it is the Lord who has sent this into his life. It is God who has afflicted him for his own good and for God's glory. Our afflictions can take many forms. And they take many forms because we go astray in many ways. If we think about our sanctification as the formation of the soul and the tuning of the soul, as we spoke earlier, our souls go astray and are in need of, of correction. And we go astray in many ways, and therefore afflictions can take all kinds of forms and shapes and in no person's life are they ever the same. We are all dealing with mortality. We're all dealing with relationships. We're all dealing with the difficulty of work. We're all dealing with certain things that we share in common. But the uniqueness of each one of us, both by creation and recreation, means that the way we react and respond in our various settings is different according to the gifts and the personality that God has given to us. And so our afflictions are those things that God has tailored to our soul's needs. Our afflictions are tailored by God to bring us back into a right tune, to make the right sound. If we are prideful, he humbles us if we are uh, overly confident he will humble us 
self-confident. If we uh, are face uh, various kinds of ways in which we uh, deal with things, one way or the other, affliction has that tendency of bringing us to a place of humility. And the acknowledgement that affliction comes from God means that I accept that as being from my Heavenly Father, and I know that He does it in love. It's not a matter of God frowning and just sort of sitting in heaven and waiting to, to give you, uh, to, to, to make your life miserable. But your Heavenly Father in love knows that which each one of us needs. The prophet Jeremiah says, it is, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? And then he asked this question, why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? When we are afflicted, there's a sense in which God is uh, punishing us, chastising us. And Jeremiah says, why would anyone complain who is a sinner about that? Why should a living man complain about the punishment of his sins? We can never say, as I have heard some people say, we can never say, I didn't deserve that. We deserve so much more. <laughs> we deserve so much more. But God, in his gracious kindness, will give suffering, bring suffering into our lives, to put pressure on those points and to teach us those lessons. And Sometimes it can be shattering. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. Sometimes it can be life-changing. But the Lord never leaves or forsakes his children. He afflicts us in love. We sing that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That comes from Lamentations, chapter 3, written by the prophet uh, Jeremiah. Great is thy faithfulness comes from verses that immediately follow these. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. There are no more stronger words of utter hopelessness than those words. But you know, and it's such an amazing thing. You have to read Lamentations chapter 3 when you go home. He turns in another direction. And the very next thing he says, But I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. Every morning, 
great is thy faithfulness. As we endure the trials and the difficulties of life, let's remember these words that in faithfulness you, O Lord, have afflicted me. You who created me, you who recreated me, you who have set your covenant love upon me, you have done this to me in faithfulness. So what is our response when we are afflicted? In your faithfulness you have afflicted me. Think about when you go to the doctor or if you've ever been in the hospital and you've been having to undergo a, a pretty serious operation or procedure. There's a lot of painful things that you have to go through. And yet at the end of the process, aren't you thankful for those nurses and those doctors that kept interrupting you and prodding you and poking you and causing you so much difficulty when at the end of the process you can see the good results of what you've endured. And think about your life in that way. The Christian life is a, is a life in which we are being worked on by God. And at the end of the process, we will rejoice for all eternity for the faithfulness of God in our trials, in our griefs, and in our afflictions. How wonderful to know that the Lord is the perfect physician of our souls. He applies just the right measure. Nothing more and nothing less. Because he knows and loves you as his child. Thirdly, not only does the psalmist rejoice in the fact that God made him. Not only does the psalmist rejoice in the fact that he has, God in faithfulness has afflicted him, but the psalmist also rejoices and delights in Christian fellowship. And we see this in 74, the verse that I read just a minute ago. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Also along the same lines, verse 79 let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. Both of those verses describe one-on-one -on -one seeing and turning to one another and rejoicing in one another. Um, you take that uh, verse, uh, let, those, uh, uh, let, those who, uh, um, let those who fear you see me and rejoice. You know, uh, what he's saying there is that uh, there's going to be uh, joy in one another's presence. It's not going to be, uh, I see someone coming, and I quickly turn and go in the other direction. But there's going to be a happiness and a joy in one another's presence. So the psalmist then gives thanks to that, that there is a communal aspect to this. He seeks after those who fear the Lord, and they also see him responding in his circumstances and trusting in his word. They will turn as a result of seeing my testimony and also trust in his word 
those who see me will rejoice. And let those who, turn, those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. There's a teaching part here that we learn from one another. And we learn uh, from the experiences of one another. And we're encouraged and we give glory to God for the progress that is made in our lives. The psalmist desires to have others of a like mind nearby to share in the benefits that he experiences because of his endurance in this trial. How wonderful is this communion of the saints. What a wonderful thing it is to see one another and rejoice. I don't think that we think about that enough. I don't think that we appreciate it enough. Christian love is a wonderful thing. And how we ought to be known as those who love one another, who see one another and rejoice and learn together of the faithfulness of God as he teaches each one of us individually. We share in one another's sorrows and distresses. We rejoice in one another's joys. And from time to time, we exhort one another in love. And we say to one another, be strong, fear not, behold your God. And in this way, we strengthen weak hands and make firm, feeble knees. That's what the Christian community, that's what the Christian church is about. It is about exhorting one another, be strong, fear not, behold your God. Strengthening one another and making one another firm. Psalm 34, 2 and 3 says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see, do you hear the language that is being used there? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. And is not content merely for he in his own soul to make its boast in the Lord. He said, let the humble, let those who fear God, hear me making my boast in the Lord, and let them also be glad with me. That's the communion of the saints. That's fellowship. Oh, then he says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What is heaven but that? Right? All of the angels and all of the saints and all of the martyrs gathered about the throne magnifying the name of the Lord together. Christian joy. Christian joy is something that is heightened and intensified when we rejoice together, giving glory to God. Christian fellowship. So those who see me will rejoice. How wonderful that is. The fourth thing I'd like for us to see is God's special care for us is seen in the comfort and the mercy that he shows. Verse 76 let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. In verse 76, he seeks that comfort that comes from God in the midst of his trial. 
Charles Bridges in his comment on this says, he prays for comfort under trial. He does not ask that it be taken from him. All that he asks for is a sense of God's merciful kindness upon his soul. A sense of God's merciful kindness upon his soul. And so he submits himself to God in his trials and asks God, Oh Lord, show your mercy to me. Let your mercy come to me. Let your steadfast love. Verses 76 and verses 77 are very much alike. The Lord's steadfast love is steadfast because it's rooted in the covenant. It's rooted in Christ. Therefore, it is not changeable. God's mercy has uh, reference to our need for the mercy of God. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. We are sinful people and we need the Lord's mercy every day. Every day that we enjoy comes by way of mercy. The most careful and sanctified Christian that you know needs mercy. There's not a Christian that you know that does not stand entirely indebted to the mercy of God every minute. Every minute that I breathe, I'm fully aware that I breathe merely because God is merciful to me, a sinner. And that is what the psalmist expresses. He says, oh Lord, let me know your mercy. David prayed, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Oh, what a sinner I am. How I blunder again and again. How I break your commandments again and again. Have mercy upon me, O oh God, according to your steadfast love. Remember, that's that covenantal love, that chesed, that, that love that never will be taken away, no matter how many times Israel sins. No matter how many times we fall, we can turn to the Lord and say, have mercy upon me according to that steadfast, non-changing love. Non-changing because it is rooted in the work of Christ and his death and resurrection and his ascension. And then finally, and this more briefly, the psalmist rejoices that even in the Lord's dealings with the wicked, he leaves that to the Lord. Verse 78. Uh, Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. One of the things about insolent people, uh, there are some people who have no shame. <laughs> there are some people who, who will perpetuate lies and lie and lie and lie and do it repeatedly, and be believed repeatedly, and they have no shame. Those are the insolent ones. Those are the ones who are full of their own selves and full of their own pride. And the psalmist recognizes that these ones, he says, he prays to the Lord, Lord, you deal with them. Let them be put to shame. What is that shame? Well, to, to be put to shame is to, be, to have all the secrets known, all the lies exposed, and for someone to be seen as they really are. 
That's to be put to shame, to be seen as the person who has been the perpetuator of of lies, the, the one who has lived a lie and succeeded at it, will be seen and known and put to shame on the great day of judgment. And yet, he says, at the very end of this, may my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. And so there is a distinction between the one who is the insolent one and the one who is humbly in, in fellowship with God through his word. And he says, let me be blameless in your word and let me not be put to shame. And what does that mean, not to be put to shame? For all of us have believed a lie. All of us have fallen short. All of us, if, if our lives were known in all of their intimate detail, if all of our thoughts and our motives were known and hung out for all to see, would be put to shame. We would most certainly be put to shame. But the great mercy and the grace of God is that he has provided one who covers us in his righteousness. He clothes us in his glory. Though we are sinners and undeserving, though we have broken every commandment, and though we are just as deserving of being exposed before the world, in all of our shame and all of our sin, as anyone, yet God has provided a clothing. God has provided a covering. And he's provided it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me not be put to shame. That is his trust, that the Lord is the one who will keep him. The Lord is the one who will protect him. The Lord is the one who will save him on that great day of judgment. What a great, wonderful thing it is to know the God of the covenant, to know the God who has written these words. So the psalmist says, this is how I'm going to deal with the insolent ones. I'm going to leave them for you, O Lord. You, let those insolent ones, let them be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. And so what it is, as, as we find in other places in Scripture where we were exhorted not to fret because of evildoers, not to let evildoers become the focus, set your mind upon the Word of God. Set your mind upon His promises. Set your mind upon God Himself. I will meditate. I will repeat. I will, I will say over and over again, your precepts. I will trust in you. What a wonderful thing it is for us to know that this God who has provided for us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has covered us in his righteousness. What a wonderful thing it is for us to know that whatever afflictions that we are going through, whatever afflictions we have experienced or may have yet to experience, it is the Lord, it is the Lord who is sovereign in it, And it is the Lord who is our loving Heavenly Father, working in it and through it. May we be able, by his grace, and I say this as someone, I don't say it lightly, I don't say it flippantly, to be able 
in the midst of all of that struggle and heartache and grief of life and the sorrows of life, to look to the Lord as the one who sustains us in it and who is merciful to us in it and loves us in it and through it and will bring us through, safely through, into glory. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, how we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for that salvation, for that loving kindness of yours and that mercy and that kindness that we look to every day. Where would we be if we did not know that in the Lord Jesus himself, there we find mercy. In him, we find the forgiveness of our sins. And may it be that we would, even this very night, go to him, confessing our sin, confessing our need, that we would go to him and lay it all before him, and that we would receive his love and his mercy and his grace and forgiveness. Oh, Lord, may it be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.